are in this series titled Rules of Resilience, and uh, we are talking about how do we go through difficult situations or seasons of life, right? How, or how do we do the hard things that we know that we have to do or that we want to do without giving up so quickly, right? How do we stay focused and on task and finish what we started, the follow-through, right? We've all been in those seasons of our lives, and, and somewhere along there, we've hit a bump, and it has detoured us, or we've uh, lost focus, or we've lost uh, momentum or passion uh, in those areas and uh, because it was too difficult or it was going to be a challenge for us. And that's what we're talking about. How do, we, how do we get through, we push through? And so today's message is titled, is what you say more powerful than what you do? Is what you say more powerful than what you do? We've all heard it before, right? Be a doer. Don't just talk. Be, do, do something about it. But I, I'm hoping to bring you a little bit different, a different perspective on that, that understanding um, this morning. Let me ask you this. Can you remember the last time that you were going to begin to do something or start doing something, but then you talked yourself out of it? Like you were, gonna, you were gung-ho, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to accomplish, and then you just be like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I want to do that anymore. You thought, man, I can do this. I can do this. I got this. But, but what if I don't? What if I don't? What, 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 if, what if I can't? What if I cannot do this? What if it doesn't work out? What if everyone hates it? What if everyone hates me? What if our entire lives fall apart because we took this leap? We took this chance. Nope, can't do it. Can't do this. Can't do this no more. I think everybody, right? I think everybody has gone through those moments uh, before in life. And maybe, maybe yours is, is connected to a, a business idea. Maybe yours is connected to a, a learning opportunity. Maybe yours is connected to a personal goal or a relationship. We think the solution, solution is just to, to be and think positive, and, and that will get us through it. But we also know people who may have been a little, little too positive, right? They had this big idea. They wanted to believe it was easier than what it was. They overestimated their own skill set and completely ignored the reality of the situation at hand. They were overconfident, and, and it ended poorly for them. Truth be told, friends, at times, too much, too much positivity leads to stupidity. Sometimes we think we can run through a brick wall until the brick wall hits you back. We're like, ooh, I thought I could go through it. I thought I was strong enough. I thought I was mentally prepared. I thought I had enough resources. You see, how we see the world shapes how we respond to it. If there's a large mismatch between expectations and reality, our brain overcorrects. If we prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario, our brain goes into what's the point mode and we're doomed from the start. 
so we don't. And if we, pray, if we prepare for the best-case scenario, positive self-talk kind of backfires on us. You don't properly prepare for he, or, or heed to appropriate warnings. Hearing, you got this, no problem, gets interpreted as, this is so easy. I don't need to try. I got this. And you don't pull out the necessary effort that is needed. Right about now, many of you are sitting here and be like, I wonder which one am I? I wonder where, what category I fall into. Do, am I overly positive or am I like a, a doom and gloom kind of guy or girl? Right? But I want to tell you this morning that we all have both voices in our head. We just tend to listen to one more than the other. Not because it's what's best for us, but because it's the loudest voice. It's the most persistent voice inside of us. You see, our brain takes in so much information all at once, and that information arrives to uh, our command center in the form of various voices, all debating, demanding to be heard, and insisting we side with them. Many of you be like, oh, I thought I was just going crazy. I thought I was just like hearing voices in my head. No, they're there. <laughs> they're there. And it's not just one voice. There are several voices. And they're all trying to compete for your attention. Let's say that you decide to, to go on a run. And as you're jogging along, you think, man, it's a beautiful day outside. Holy, I can hear the birds, the breeze, the sun is on, uh, shining on my face. It, man, I feel pretty good. I, I really enjoy this, this, this running. Not really tired at all. And then all of a sudden, you're like, ooh, 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 that hurt. That shooting pain in your, in your leg rises up a voice that says, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That hurt so bad. That hurt so bad. I knew it was a bad idea. I knew I shouldn't have run. This is not for me. This is not for me to be running out here. And then there's another part, another voice that says, relax, don't freak out. You're just getting older, right? You're just getting older. This is just part of life. This is part of the, 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 the storyline. This is the way things happen, right? You're going to be fine. But that panicked part of you that's still preoccupied with the pain pipes in again and says, it still hurts. It hurts really bad. Why aren't you paying attention to the pain that is coming from your leg? I read once that if, that, that if you have a broken ankle, right, you're doom and gloom for life, right? You're going to start hobbling wherever you go. Like, like, you need to stop, right? Pay attention to it. And then from out of nowhere, another voice in your head says, this isn't even about you right now. You decided this year that you were going to start running again and lose some weight. Your kids want to grow up with a dad who takes care of himself and proves that he can do the hard things in life so that they, too, later in life, can do the hard things in their lives. So get it together. 
And there's still, there's still another voice that's, that is just trying to pierce through, trying to pipe in and says, um, did you see that taco stand that we just ran by? I'm hungry. You hungry? We should stop by. With that bum leg, we should stop by over there. We'll call for help. See if somebody pick you up as we eat a taco. Right? These are the things. Am I wrong? Like, these are the things that, that your mind says, right? Some of you are probably thinking this, this kind of sounds like that movie Inside Out. Right? Inside Out. And it should. Because believe it or not, that movie paints a very accurate picture of how our brains work. In the mind of the main character, Riley, right, are cartoon representations of joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. They argue and wrestle for access to the command button that controls her reactions. They each only have partial information and argue from a, uh, a particular perspective. What she does depends on which voice is calling the shots at that moment. And in many ways, this is how we work as well, church. Doesn't it feel at times like there are different versions of you calling the shots? One day you are like, mm, going to get him, going to get after it. The next day you're like, all right, maybe tomorrow. Another day. I get the, lot, the voice that says, are you hungry yet? A lot. I don't know about you. And the crazy thing is that they do not agree. These voices do not agree with one another. Psychologist Malgozada Pushlaskaval found uh, through research that most people, most people uh, appear to have at least five primary voices integrated into their self-talk. Right? Self-talk is when you look in the mirror and you're like, man, you got this. Oh, you look pretty. Oh, you look handsome. Right? Oh, you haven't shaved. You ugly. Like all of that, right? <laughs> Those are the voices, right? And you, she says through her research that there are five primary uh, uh, voices that you hear. Right? There's a faithful friend that says achievements don't matter. Just focus on the people who care about you. There's the uh, ambivalent friend, right? If you want people to, to like you, you need to address this about you. There's the pride, uh, proud rival. What you're, go uh, what you're doing is okay, but you can do better. Don't settle. There's a calm optimist voice that says, take a deep breath. Everything will work out in the long run. And there's the helpless child voice that everything is out of control and there's nothing that you can do about it. I call that the chicken little voice. Chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? Running around. Sometimes the discussion in your head is civil, right? It's civil and reasonable. And sometimes it's a straight out WWE brawl. There is just people flipping each other. There's people smacking each other, trying to cut each other off, choke holding the other person, right? The higher the stakes of the situation and the more potential for danger. The louder, the louder the various voices begin to shout, trying to get you to take their perspective and to react accordingly. So, so how do you know? How do you know which voice to listen to? Some of you are saying, man, that's easy, Pastor. Yeah, I, got, I always, I got this. I got this. I want to bring a different perspective this morning to you. 
Philippians 4, 6 to 8. You don't have to look in your Bible. It's up on the screen. It says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about it. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Ooh, I love that scripture. That's awesome, right? That kind of sounds like the voice of the calm optimist reminding us to be positive. But then you have Luke 14, verse 28 through 30. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, it might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone will laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building that couldn't afford to finish it. This is Jesus talking, and it sounds like the, uh, uh, the ambivalent uh, parent, right? Like wanting us to, to think things through, to slow down, process it. Then you have 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and, all the, of, and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy god or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I would have to the poor and even sacrificed the body, I, would boast, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Well, that right there sounds like the, the voice of the faithful friend reminding us that uh, all that matters is, is love, not achievements. Then you have Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already uh, reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection of which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Now, that verse sounds like the proud uh, rival, wanting us to work harder and win and be the best. And yet there's another one. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 to 11. Verse 2 says that everything, everything is meaningless. What do people get for their effort? This writer sounds like the helpless child telling us we have less control than what we think we do. Church, these are all scriptural verses. These are all very good verses. So which one, which one is the one that we want to listen to? Which, one, uh, which are the good voices and which are the bad ones? What if there's not, it's not a matter of good and bad? What if every one of these voices is needed and necessary? What if it's more a matter of learning what to listen to when? What if it's about learning the benefits and the drawbacks of each voice and knowing, uh, knowing uh, who to go to and, uh, to help you do what you need to do in a, in a given moment in life? How do we learn to mediate the ongoing conversations in our own minds in a way that's, that brings honor and glory to Christ. I think this is part, um, I think this is, the, uh, is part of what the Apostle Paul 
uh, meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we take the voices that we hear, right, the things that we're telling ourselves, and we, we put it through the filter of Jesus. And we, we analyze it and say, hey, how does this, what this voice is saying, line up with what God is saying, with God, what God wants us to do? In other words, lean into whatever voice is pushing out uh, pushing our attitudes and actions in the direction of who Jesus is and what Jesus would have us to do. Sometimes we filter these thoughts through the, the voices of our friends. Sometimes we filter these thoughts through the voices of our, our family members, people that we like or that we, we look up to. And the reality is that we should be filtering these voices through the person that we are trying and striving to be more like, which is Jesus. So what does that look like? Let me answer this question by going back into the story that we've been following through about Gideon, specifically, and how the conversation that he has with himself throughout the story shapes the story. Jesus says that whatever comes out of our mouth is a result of whatever is rattling around in your heart and in your mind, right? That's in Matthew chapter 12. In other words, your internal discussions, right, the thoughts that you are having inside of yourself determine your external, tell them I'm busy right now, please, determine your, just pray, your external conversations, and so at the very beginning, when God goes to Gideon and tells him that he has a vision uh, for his life, and there's this incredible, there's something incredible that he wants Gideon to do, and that God is going to be with him every step of the way, Gideon replies or responds back in uh, Judges 6, 13 and verse 15, God has abandoned me. He's abandoned us. And me? I'm the least. I, I'm, I'm the weakest link here. You, I, I'm no good. And then Gideon is echoing the helpless child voice that he hears, right, in his head. And then if you skip ahead to chapter 7, all of this uh, preparation has happened since that initial moment, which we've talked previously in the last couple of weeks. And finally, that moment has come to, for the battle. It's time to fight. And in Judges 7, uh, 9, God tells Gideon, get up, get up and go fight. I've given you victory. And let me give you one guess, right? Give you one guess. Based on what you know, what you've heard about Gideon over the last few weeks, what do you think his response was? Which voice in his head was the loudest? Fear. Fear. He was afraid. That was the voice that he started to hear, right? And, here, and, and here's what, what I, I find interesting. Does, does, I mean, excuse me, Judges 7.10 tells us that Gideon was afraid. Why does God, why does God give Gideon something to do if he's afraid? Why does God give him a task 
a responsibility, a challenge to follow through. If God already knows that he's afraid, the truth is that he knows him well enough. He knows him. He knows what he's thinking. He knows that he's going to be afraid. And here's what I find interesting. Does he shame him for being afraid? No. He doesn't shame Gideon for being afraid. Absolutely not. He gives them the strategy to address the fear. In other words, God says, hey, I got you, Gideon. I told you this is the challenge. This is what I'm presenting before you. And I know that you're afraid. I know that you see the challenge before you and it's scary. But I'm not going to leave you here. I'm linking arms with you. In fact, I'm going to tell, tell you, I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to be victorious. You're going to win. In Judges 7, 11, and 12, he gives them the strategies. Go down to the camp with your servants. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon, to his credit, works the strategy that God gives him. But he's not, it doesn't make him any less afraid. Right? It's not like all of a sudden he pulled, <laughs> he pulled over his shirt and he's like, no, that's not how it worked out for him. He is creeping down to the camp. And I, I can, you could can, can, can probably see his breath in front of him. Verse 12 gives us a description of how he sees the people, how he sees the Midianites are reacting and how their army is feeling and how he makes them feel. Some of us think that courage, courage means not feeling afraid. And that's not true whatsoever. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but choosing to take the right action in the presence of fear. There was a meme floating about social media a couple of years back that I found and, and I started to to take hold of it because I, I, when I first read it, I thought, man, this is, this is so good. It says, fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. Fear and heart, uh, excuse me, fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. And I took that on and I was like, God, speak to me this. This is powerful stuff. And the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I, I began to ask God for wisdom and insight on this because there was a voice telling me, hey, I don't know about that. And I began to continue to ask God, and, and I came to the conclusion that it, I disagreed. I disagreed with that. And I want to tell you that so does Scripture, and so does science, and so does Pixar. Fear and faith are both voices fighting for access to the command button that controls your actions you may only be able to obey one at a time. But rest assured that both are trying to convince you that they are right. Judges 7 through 13, uh, 13 and 14, Gideon, right? Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream, right? So the Midianites are, are, are talking, and he crept up as just as one guy was telling, uh, uh, sharing a dream. And he says, the man said, 
I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley came, uh, 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 a barley bread came tumbling down into the midnight camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian, all his allies. First of all, we've all had that kind of dream before, right? We've all had that kind of dream. Secondly, there's definitely, definitely more than one way to interpret dreams. And there's more than one way to interpret this dream. It's a weird dream, but there's more than one way to interpret it. And that's the thing about interpretations. They have to pass through a filter, a filter of a person. Dreams are more subjective than they are objective. But it doesn't matter what the dream means. It only matters that the guys in the enemy's camp thought it meant. That's what mattered. And it made them feel very afraid. Why? Because that's what the loudest voice in their head told them. You see, that was, the, that was the voice that got to push the control button. And that is when Gideon realized they are more afraid of us than we are of them. Judges 7.15 tells us that Gideon worships and, and readies the army. Gideon's, Gideon says that if he just learned the information, if he just learned this information and they receive it, like it's the first time that they're hearing it. But it's not. It's not the first time they heard this information. They already knew this. God had told them multiple times. In Judges 6.16, God tells Gideon, right, says that he will be with Gideon and that he will defeat the Midianites. In Judges 7.7, 7, God says that he will defeat the Midianites with the 300 men. So God had already told them that he was going to be victorious. But at that point in time, the voice that was controlling the command button was the voice of fear. Here's the thing, church. There's a big difference between knowing something and believing something. There's a big difference. You can know something. It's informational. But it takes on a whole different perspective, a whole new life when you begin to believe it. It's the same thing in our walk with Jesus. We've all heard the Bible probably at some point or another. We know something of the Bible. But it takes on a new meaning once we begin to believe what the Word of God says. This may have been the 50th time that they heard this, but it was the first time, it was the first time they allowed themselves to believe that it was true. At this moment, that voice became the louder voice than anything else. It overrode any other objections, overcame all other observations, and overpowered every other obstacle. It was as if God made it clear at that very moment which voice in their head was speaking to that situation on his behalf. 
And once they became clear, once they understood what was going on and what was going to happen, they were all in. And the conviction that came out of Gideon's mouth at that moment was just an echo of what was happening in his heart. Because that's how Jesus said it would work. It's also why the Proverbs writer says in four, uh, chapter, uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else for it will determine the course of your life. You see, in the Jewish mindset, the, uh, the, the, the word for heart, it was, a, it was a word picture for the base of your belief system, the home of your core values, the statements and voices you give priority to. And so it says, guard your heart. Guard, the, guard your heart because that is what you're going to eventually, what's going to direct your course Here's the gist of it all. Leave here with this, church. How you handle adversity in your life is a reflection of what you say to yourself most frequently. If you're going around speaking negativity, well, negativity is what's going to come out. What voice are we listening to in our lives? What voice are we trying to apply in our lives? In other words, what you hide in your heart determines how you handle fear. So how do we guard that? How do we uh, mediate the conversations inside us in a Christ-like manner? I'm going to quickly give you two things. Jot these down. Number one, amplify the voice that brings about balance. In other words, turn up the volume of the voice that brings about balance, not victory, not positivity, but that brings about balance to you in your world, right? Again, our assumption is that if we just turn up the volume of whatever voice inside of, uh, inside of us is whispering words of affirmation and positivity, it would always lead us to being our best. But it's not that simple, church. Your brain cannot be fooled into uh, false bravado. It cannot, right? Your mind won't believe what it cannot uh, uh, locate um, evidence for, logical evidence for. In other words, trying to brainwash yourself with positivity doesn't work. Can you remember or did you know that Jesus yelled at Peter and called him Satan one time for trying to put a positive spin on something? He told him, get back. You Satan. Right? Friends, toxic positivity isn't faith. Toxic positivity isn't faith. What Jesus encourages us is, to self, is that self-talk shaped by a re realistic view of ourselves and the situation that we're in, an awareness of God's power and a commitment to action. That is the equation. And number two, move the right inside voice out. Move the right inside voice out. You've probably seen athletes do this. They talk to themselves out loud, right, between plays in the locker room, in the huddle. Come on, E, you're better than that box out. 
Why are you laughing? I was an athlete. Think that's not possible? I talk to myself all the time. Right? Sometimes, sometimes it's instructional. Sometimes it's motivational. They're trying to push through a hard thing and be the best by overriding an unhelpful internal voice with a helpful external voice. Friends, the best strategy isn't to power through, but to process through, to lovingly validate, to inform, to redirect and correct the destructive internal monologue with your external voice. For example, if you put your hand on your heart and gently pat yourself saying, hey, I know you're really, really nervous right now, but you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're right. What you're facing right now is big. It's a challenge. It's probably going to knock you off your feet a few times. It's going to be difficult. And you have every right, every right to be scared. But even if it doesn't go your way, even if it doesn't go your way, you're going to come back. You're going to get up. Right? You're going to see it through to the other side. People know you and people love you. Take a deep breath. You got this. You got this. Notice how you're using one voice to validate and correct the other that you're hearing. And that's super important, church, because ignoring an impulse makes it louder. Ignoring an impulse makes it louder. Acknowledging and addressing it helps that part of you feel seen and heard and more willing to negotiate with the other parts of you. And research, research backs this up. Saying statements like this to have a, uh, uh, saying statements like this have a much bigger impact when they're said out loud. When they're said out loud. All of this is going to, to take some work. It's not going to be a, a night of date type of thing. It's going to require work from your behalf. And like any new skill, you're going to have to put in a lot of practice to get good at it. And even then, I don't always, I don't, I don't, it won't always happen automatically. I think the phrasing that the Proverbs writer uses is intentional. Guard your heart. Guarding it is an active action. In other words, it requires you to keep doing it, right? It requires you to be engaged. And what if you decided, what if you decided it was a skill worth developing for the betterment of you and your approach and your resilience? I'm going to wrap this up. I want to encourage you today to start small in, 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 in simple situations in your life. Begin to apply this in small doses in your life. Learn to listen to yourself. Learn to be quiet and be still and listen to yourself. Identify the different voices that are contributing to the, the conversation and the lens that they're filtering everything through. Practice zooming out and hosting a conversation between all of them. I know it sounds weird. 
Like, what you say? What you say? What you say? But work, work at identifying which one God is speaking through in that moment to bring you balance. Can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the last several years post-COVID with people just struggling to move ahead, struggling to get past something, struggling to get through something, struggling to kind of find their equilibrium in life, trying to see themselves on the other side of things. But if we don't begin to do the practice now, if we don't begin to put things in motion, right, begin to set barriers, begin to set equations or algorithms internally that will position us better. I'll be honest, there are times where I've made decisions, I've allowed a voice to overrun the rest of the voices and hit that command button. And my actions have not lined up with what God would have wanted. And over these last few years, I've been in this season of life of saying, oh, I need to step back. Don't be so quick to react. Listen to the voices in your head. You're not going crazy. You're not going crazy. You listen to the voices and see which voice lines up best with what the Word of God says you should be doing. And when that voice hits, amplify it. Raise up the volume of that voice and let that voice push the command button for your actions. Bring that voice out. Bring that inside voice out. This process will not be easy, but it's entirely worth it because every battle won begins in the mind. Every battle won begins in the mind. I've said this before, the heart, <laughs> the heart will fool you. The heart will lead you astray, lead you to believe things that are not because the, the heart is emotional. It's finicky. It flip-flops. But if we can win the battle of the heart, because I mean the battle of the mind because we've allowed it to be filtered through his word, his word. Not your BFF's word. Not your boss's word. But his word. So here's a practical thing that you can do to prepare for the next inevitable obstacle that's, that you'll be facing. List the reasons you made it through an overwhelming situation before and read it when you hit that wall. List the things, right? The things that got you through the past, the previous situation. And begin to read it. Maybe it's scripture. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's worship. Maybe it's finding someone to help you process through those thoughts and those situations. But do something. Do something. Amen.